0: Welcome back to another edition of the Disney Dish Podcast with Jim Hill. It's me, Len Testa, and this is our show for the week of August 12th, 2019. On the show today, news, patents, and in our main segment, Jim gets us out of our summer heatwave by talking to us about winter, specifically winter and Disney resort development. And speaking of Jim, let's bring in the man who points out that all languages travel at the speed of sound except sign language, which travels at the speed of light. It's Mr. Jim Hill. Jim, how's it going? I'm doing well, Len. I tried signing at one point in... It doesn't <laughs> work on podcasts, does it? <laughs> no,
1: no, no. And, and you know, when you have fat fingers, it really slows you down.
0: <laughs> Some digit dexterity that needs to happen there, Jim. There you go. All right, Jim, let's do a quick shout-out to subscribers over at DisneyDish.BandCamp.com. Thanks to new subscribers, Orioles85, Clear C and I'm not making this up, frequently disgruntled consumer. And longtime subscribers, Steve P., Mini 1000, and Natan Char. You know, Jim, these are the folks who groom the fish before they go on display in the aquarium at the Seas Pavilion. So what you think are fish scales are actually tiny, tiny rhinestones that these folks sew on by hand. Jim, I I don't think costuming gets enough credit here. You? I'm sure there's a fishing line joke in there
1: somewhere, (laughs) and I'm not doing it. (laughs)
0: <laughs> fair enough, fair enough, Jim. All right, let's do the uh, let's do the news. Folks, the uh, Disney Dish news is brought to you by Storybook Destinations, a trusted travel partner of the Disney Dish podcast. For a worry-free travel experience every time, book online at storybookdestinations.com. Jim, every show should begin with a round of self-congratulations. Back in October of 2018, we said this about the restaurant that would replace bongos. An anonymous friend writes in with more info on the bongos closing. The restaurant group that is going to be taking over Chicago is Chicago-based. Let us entertain you. We've probably eaten in some of their places. And the new space will probably be based on their Beatrix model. That's what we said back in October of 2018. Lo and behold, Jim, 10 months later, Disney announced that Beatrix is coming to Disney Springs. Disney describes it as your neighborhood restaurant, coffee house, and crab and go market. Featuring healthy food options, Including vegetarian, gluten-free, and vegan, along with fresh squeeze juice cocktails. The restaurant will also offer a bakery and full-service bar with a selection of all American beer and wine. So exactly what we were expecting, Jim, but yeah, it's absolutely. finally official. Yep. My big question on this Beatrix restaurant is the following. Bongos mm. is a huge space. This does not sound like you need that much space. Is are we talking a demo? demolition of the Bongo's building? Are they going to take over part of it? It would seem like the Bongo's building itself is like very a very specific architecture. And I'm not sure that that architecture says vegetarian, gluten free coffee house, grabbing coffeehouse-grabbing-go-market-near-road restaurant. Again, everything I've heard is that this was a teardown. Don't we have just across
1: the way that Starbucks, that low-slung grass roof? This is supposed to be Kind of a, a companion to that, which again, what kind of concerns me? That again, read your description: your neighborhood restaurant and coffee house, and grab and go right across the way from the Starbucks. Which hey, I'm, so-
0: I'm thinking, Jim, at night after all the guests leave, this becomes West Side Story with the shark and sharks and the jets, <laughs> and they rumble in the streets. And instead of knives, they've got those little coffee stirrs. <laughs> In my head, uh, the show needs a musical number, and that's what it would be. All right, Jim, speaking of construction, uh, big big news and also not so big news from Universal last week. They announced their third theme park titled Universal's Epic Universe, Mm -hmm. 750 acres a bit southeast of their current land. And Jim, that's about all they said, right? Mm -hmm. There There was some vague concept art. They could have been almost anything, but that was their, that was their announcement, right? Yuck, yuck. What? Uh, I, what? <laughs> uh, well, okay. A
1: couple of things here, Lynn. I don't know if you, you saw when this is expected to open. No, because they didn't say anything about it, did they? The proposed opening for this thing is 2023 to 2024. Okay. Right now, with the tariffs that are going on, the price of steel, especially steel coming out of China... Is four to five hundred times what it normally costs. I thought, I thought the was like twenty percent. <laughs> well,
0: oh, on, is it on certain things? It's on certain things. Yeah. Okay, got it. And well,
1: the other thing, frankly, that's going on here is a lot of the Chinese steel is already committed to the Olympics. All the construction that's going on in Japan, mm-hmm. and then the year after that. And remember, the Olympics are next year, and then the year after that, they're they're hosting an Expo. So uh, there's a real supply and demand situation. And frankly, the folks at Universal are like, okay, we're announcing this park. We'll begin building in, they're hoping, 2021 with a hope that by that point, the tariff situation will have resolved itself. Steel prices will have gotten back down to something that's reasonable. There will also be more supply. It's a very different theme park. You look at the concept art, and I know everybody's been joking about, well, like, I can't identify anything. It's just sort of like you want to go back and look at the concept art for any Disney theme park. Typically, there's a giant balloon in the middle of the drawing, or there are clouds, or there are fireworks. Exactly. Every first piece of concept art for a theme park is always a Rorschach anyway. It's just sort of yeah. like, hey, you know, what am I looking at here? But it's built to be the theme park that's close to the convention center. Just take a look at the drawing again and notice that all of the lands, it's not the classic Disney design. It's not the lands bleed into one another. No, it looks more like a starfish, right? Very much so, because the idea is that one of the lands is supposed to be Classic Universal Monsters themed. Oh. If, say, you're a giant corporation, you're a Sperry or an Apple or whatever, and you're holding your convention at the Orange County Convention Center, you know, the whole notion is hey, guys, how would you feel about buying out Universal Monster, you know, classic
0: Monster Land for the night? Oh, so the rest of the park can run, but that one land will be closed. There we go. And because it's by the convention, you can, uh, it's easy to get to.
1: And what are and the point? you have four different lands. You can, in theory, you can book out each of these things. There's a lot lot of stuff they're not talking about. I was talking to one person involved with the Universal Project, and they're actually designing lands with the notion that you know how corporations love trust building exercises, that sort of thing. Yes. They're going to build experiences
0: into this land. Alive. I was just thinking about this. I mean, that's what the corporate world needs this, Jim. The corporate world needs some combination of Halloween horror nights, mm-hmm. alcohol, expense accounts, and trust-building exercises. I think so. Yeah. I, and I think Universal is the park to do this.
1: <laughs> They're hoping that this is a very lucrative business model. In fact, the – what do they call them? The escape rooms? Yeah supposedly, Universal Classic Monsters will actually feature a component like that. That, you know, if you're a corporate group, as a team-building exercise, you know, you can try to get out of
0: Dracula's dungeon or that sort of thing. And if Marsha from accounting has to be sacrificed along the way, so be it, Jim. That's what I say. There we go. There we go. (laughs) I'm just saying this
1: is different. And a lot of what drives the difference of this is that it's built so close to... The Orange County Convention Center, and that uh, just yeah. this is kind of a, a a rule breaker, and and unfortunately we are at least five years, hopefully just four years out from its opening. But again, a, you know, a lot of wild card factors here between the cost of steel, and they still
0: have uh, quite a bit of development to do. How are they going to get people from the existing parks, Universal Studios and Islands of Adventure, to Epic Universe. It's a distance, right? It's, it it's not walking distance. It
1: is. But the language that Universal would like you to use is that Islands of Adventure, Universal Studios Florida, that's the main campus. The hotel and the theme park and the other elements that will be built to support Epic Universe, I want to say that's the North Campus. And one of the other things they want to point out is that for now, I think there's a plan of a, a bus system, yep. and they're quick to point out that I guess people who are staying at the endless summer, the phase one of endless summer, right. are actually getting over to Universal faster on the buses that they use than the folks who are staying at Cabana Bay. Huh. They're anticipating building a, a fairly substantial bus system that will Move people from the North Campus over to the main campus. But at the same time, a lot of their business, they believe, is just going to be conventioneers, you know, coming across the way. So,
0: do you think we'll see them building more hotels closer to Epic Universe to take advantage of that convention business? Part of the business plan, at least for Endless Summer, is the notion of keeping a, a
1: really low price point for at least seven years or so. Right. And, Potentially, they'll drive out of business a number of their competitors along I Drive, and then perhaps snap up those properties.
0: Yeah, because the endless summer is sort of in that in the diagonal space between Epic Universe and the existing property, like it's like a game of Connect Four, right? Mm-hmm. And but they've got a couple of Kirkman, mm-hmm. a couple of road interchanges they got to worry about between the mm-hmm. two, but they could conceivably buy up the land that connects everything diagonally, and then be like sort of an elongated figure eight set of property that they own. There's a plan here. The problem is that you can
1: make a plan, but you, yeah. know, you, you can't necessarily plan on the cost of seal going through the roof.
0: Okay, so so let me ask this question. The, the park opens in 2023 or 2024. they still got to worry about construction, which is not mm-hmm. going to begin for a few more years. Why make the announcement last week?
1: I've been sort of kicking the tires of that one. I've been making calls. This was not the first name for the park. It's Alicia Parkstop who got that shot of the documentation for Fantastic Worlds. And supposedly it was Warner Brothers that pushed back against that name because they felt it was too close to Fantastic Beasts. Right. And evidently that caused a point of friction between the two companies. So when you look at the park, I know everyone's looking at the smeary concept art and is trying to get a handle on it. But the original concept of this park is that you are traveling to different worlds. And again, they are separate self-contained worlds that are themed around various properties like How to Train Your Dragon and the Universal Classic Monsters. And and of course, yet another Harry Potter themed land. I guess the the idea was the land that they were doing there was going to key off of Fantastic Beasts. And again, suddenly you have your partner, you know, your creative partner, the, right. the Warner Brothers Consumer Products, who's like, hey, 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 that's our name. You Got find it. another name for your property. So, this world of branding, plan? Yeah. Universal Studios Florida, Universal's Island's Adventure, Epic Universe. It's like you're no longer your own brand. What are you going to call this place? Universal's Epic Universe? department of redundancy, redundancy department. department yeah
0: <laughs> well they got so. the word universal in there for for that so there we All go right. so. fair enough jim speaking of secret projects mm-hmm. the internet is a buzz, a buzz, mm-hmm. jim with speculation uh following disney's edition of a secret project discussion at this year's d23 i've heard uh read, or read online speculation that it's anything from a new park to a new land to a new airline have you seen this jim yeah, yeah. And I don't know, for for example,
1: if you've seen the, the people who've gotten images of magic band stuff that's been installed out at Disneyland. And, you know, the belief is that, OK, so maybe this is finally the secret project is announcing that magic bands will go there. But at the same time, I think you're the one who's too tripped over what is it's most likely to be.
0: Yeah, so I asked around and what I've heard is that it's it's nothing at all. Mm I like that. So what I've heard is it's not a park, a ride, a product, Mm -hmm. a service or anything like that. And in fact, I've heard it's not even really for consumers, Mm -hmm. rather it's some sort of internal project for the company along the lines of like, you know, let's go carbon neutral by 2025 or something like that. Or it's a recognition system for guest members, something Mm -hmm. along those lines. So it's nothing that I think that we'll be able to buy or visit or see or or anything like that. And it's placement in the D23 conference sort of makes sense on that because I think it's what on the television day? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So. When, uh, when they don't really have other stuff to fill it. So mm-hmm. I don't think this is a major announcement uh, that, like I said, that we're going to be able to, to buy or see or go do something. I think this is, is, is an internal project. We'll see what happens. Okay. Speaking of, uh, of Disney, Jim, uh, Disney announced their third quarter financial results last week, and this included the quarter in which Star Wars Galaxy's Edge opened in Disneyland. But domestic park attendance, they said, actually fell by 3% although per capita spend was up by about 7%. So, Jim, the most anticipated land in 20 years opens in Disneyland. Attendance falls 3%. What did Disney say about these earnings? Well, that was the
1: most interesting aspect of this earning calls, with Bob Iger sort of trying to frame what happened with Galaxy's Edge. I mean, him talking about the impact of, for example, hotels off-site, raising their prices. Raising their, we,
0: their prices, yeah, in anticipation of it, yeah.
1: Yeah. And he literally said some of this is on us. We kind of gave people the impression there'd be huge crowds and so they wanted to steal Seer Claire. And we opened with only one attraction. It was just interesting to have the CEO out front going, Yeah, okay. So we bobbled the message. But on the other hand we're we're opening these two new attractions and which brings me to
0: the survey you shared. <laughs> So we saw this online. Somebody sent it to me, so I, I don't know who uh, tweeted it out, but whoever, whoever it is, thanks very much for it. And it was from a cast member who had been part of the Galaxy's Edge preview. And they got a survey afterwards from Disney, and, the, and it was about Galaxy's Edge. And the question was this, when, if ever, will you return to Star Wars Galaxy's Edge at Disney's Hollywood Studios to experience Rise of the Resistance? Now, remember, these questions were sent out to Disney cast members who live in Florida. So the first option was, I'll visit in the first month after Rise of the Resistance opens. The second one was two or three months after Rise of the Resistance opens. The third one was four to six months. The fourth option was more than six months after Rise opens. The fifth option was, uh, I'm not going to return to experience Rise of the Resistance. And the last one was, I didn't know that Rise of the Resistance was coming. And that's, first of all, that's the one that cracks me up. Like cast members who went to Galaxy's Edge preview who didn't know that there was a second ride coming, like who? If you answer that, are are you like automatically routed to to training later on? But, Back to traditions, right now, pal. Right, exactly. Yeah. So, but Jim, why
1: ask cast members this question? I think it, it's more a question of just temperature in the room because remember, a okay. lot of the cast members are bringing family members, friends, and this is a Disney company that is still kind of reeling about what happened in California. Okay. I had a conversation with a longtime friend who works at Imagineering, and he was talking about the fact that there's a lot of internal discussion right now about we bobbled this. Because people are making the comparison between... The Wizarding World of Harry Potter and how you're going to places that you've seen from the film. You're going to Hogsmeade mm-hmm. Village. You're going to Hogwarts Castle. You're going. Right. You to know Dagen- it.
0: You've always wanted to see it, right? Yeah. yeah. It's like uh, it's like going going to see your hero play a play a game, right? You've you've always wanted to do this, right?
1: Yeah. Now, whereas Disney decided, well, we don't want to do Tatooine. We don't want to do Hoth. We, this is your. Star Wars adventure. So we will put elements in, you know, you'll see the X-Wings, you'll get to go to a cantina, but you'll get to bump into First Order troops in the streets. But it's a sudden realization of, yes, it's a Star Wars land, but it's nowhere where anybody's been. And it's just sort of like, the first indication that that this make was maybe going to go south was, was last year with Solo.
0: Again, I liked the movie. It was fine for what it was.
1: It was. It was. But the thing that put the panic through so many people in Imagineering was you key one of your central experiences off of you get to fly the Millennium Falcon. And here was Solo, a Star Wars story, which was built around, you're going to actually get to see Han Solo do the Kessel Run. But when that underperformed, seriously underperformed at the box office, it was suddenly like, oh, crap. Maybe giving people the opportunity to fly the Millennium Falcon isn't what we thought it was. And there's all the second guessing that's going on at Imagineering right now about mm-hmm. is this a generational thing? Is you know our kids just not as enthusiastic about Star Wars? And at the same time, there's a lot of people in management who's like, let's let the annual pass holders get back in here. Let's yeah. see what happens at Walt Disney World. Let's not hit the panic button here. Because remember, Walt Disney Studios Paris is building a frozen land and a Star Wars land. And evidently there's enough panicked people in Imagineering who are like, we need to put stuff in that people know. Let's make it Tatooine. Let's do a better job of connecting people with the stuff they want to see. Because uh, hmm. we don't want to be building another one of these supposedly $600 million, closer to $800 million lands. And not be actually connecting with what the public wants when they hear Star Wars.
0: So I think part of the problem with uh, with Galaxy's Edge, especially mm-hmm. in Disneyland, two things: one, they mm-hmm. didn't open it up all at the same time, and number two, the uh, the ride that they led with, which was Falcon, mm-hmm. is not a great ride. It's just okay the way it's. By the way, I was watching some um, some YouTube video the other right. day, and the video was a ride along on an old World War II bomber. And in mm-hmm. doing research on that, it turns out that Apparently, the inspiration for the Millennium Falcon cockpit is a B-29 bomber. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't know that. Well, the famous
1: stories about when they were cutting together everything from, you know, the run in the trench on the Death Star. I mean, the effects guys literally would take
0: footage from World War II era plane fights. Yeah. And, uh, and, so that was, I didn't know that. So that was, uh, I learned a little bit there, but yeah, you, if, uh, for our listeners, if you uh, have a chance during a break, mm-hmm. uh, Google, you know, B 29 cockpit view, uh, mm-hmm. and it looks a lot like the millennium Falcon. <laughs> it really does. One final note now. here,
1: Len, in regard to, uh, because they are just now doing the member previews of galaxy's edge or Walt Disney world. And, Evidently this was a sore point during the development of land. The, the the Florida guys pushed back and it's like, "Look, this is Florida." I mean, I get that you want the two lands to be identical. I I get that. But this is Florida. We get a lot of rain. We need Oh, more. did
0: you see the uh did you see the photos yesterday from the uh the drainage issues with the rainstorm in Florida? This is what I'm talking about. <laughs> They literally <laughs> raised this in, in like the second
1: or third meeting in, in regard to design. All right, and so let's,
0: let's provide some context for our listeners. So there are some images floating around of a pretty strong thunderstorm coming through Florida, uh, I guess, Wednesday the 7th. Mm-hmm. And it dumped a lot of rain very, very fast into central Florida and, and, and even in the Galaxy's Edge area. And the issue here is with the way that the queue is configured – for Millennium Falcon. To keep people from cutting underneath the Millennium Falcon and getting in the line, Disney's put up these, these concrete barriers. So you, you head towards the Millennium Falcon entrance, you immediately go to the right for the standby line, and you're, you're in a, an, an outdoor corridor. Uh, on one side, it's lined with a concrete wall, and then on the other side, it's concrete barriers. And the problem is, apparently, that the water drainage comes down as you're going along this corridor. It comes down on your left side, and normally the water would run out in the right into the sort of this big open courtyard area where the Millennium Falcon is. However, somehow these barriers, these concrete barriers got put in the way. So now the water is basically just trapped and it makes a little river in between these two barriers. And it was, Jim, it looked ankle deep yesterday. Yeah. yeah.
1: What's frustrating is that the artistic design people overruled the ops people and it's the ops people now who have to make this work. And it's, you know, the whole notion of what am I going to do? What am I going to, I'm going to position a
0: cast member in there with a push broom. Yeah. That's not going to work. I mean, what they could do is they could, they could raise the, uh, the barriers, right. They could put them a couple inches higher and that would, that would resolve most of the drainage issues. But I think it's interesting because clearly when they were, when they envisioned that they envisioned it for California, which doesn't get as much rain as Florida. And then it's, it's like, well, we'll just copy this for Florida. And the drainage issues are very, very different. You supposedly have this this somewhat
1: desert planet, this desert locale. Yeah. It's it's central Florida. And that three o'clock rainstorm comes pouring through. And between what you were describing, the flooding of the queue, let alone how little actual shelter there is from the... (laughs)
0: I, I think it's. I think it's. Uh, it's interesting, Jim. That uh, my first observation was that Galaxy's Edge needed a water feature, and now in Florida, <laughs> it's getting one. <laughs> there we go. I'm serious. You could put dolphins swimming in that thing. That, that water looked deep, man. That looked. Yeah. Yeah. We'll, we'll see what happens to it. I'm sure they'll figure something out. Okay. All right, Jim. Let's uh, let's move on to our main discussion here. Uh, we said last week we we're going to talk a little bit about some new Disney patents, and I've got four. I'd like to go over here real quick. The one the caught my eye. Uh, most recently, was this thing called special effects system for generating a midair laser blast illusion. So it's a way to have a moving beam of light in midair apparently hit something. Where would we need something like a midair laser blast illusion?
1: Oh, happening? I don't know. Rising to the occasion here, I well, <laughs> the, the Resistance ride in theory opens in December here yeah. and. In January, this has been one of the things they've been talking about since day one, that you're going to feel like you're in a Star Wars movie, and that includes you know, all of these laser blasts that previously had been
0: folded in in post-production. So, Yeah. The thing that I love about it is the, uh, the patent describes it this way. For example, there are many futuristic movies uh, that include battles mm-hmm. where the actors operate laser-based props, like blaster gun props, mm-hmm. which produce laser blasts. In the movies, these laser blast beams... Move through the air and have the appearance of a volumetric ball or a slug of light, which may be red, green, blue, or another color. Ha! Huh. Yeah, I don't, I don't, know, I don't know what they mean there, Jim. <laughs> anyway, it's nice that they're working on it. The other one that I thought was more interesting, and I, this, this is also Star Wars related too, is this thing called location-based mobile storytelling using beacons and. The idea is this: you're moving through. It looks like either a house, could be a hotel, could be a building, but you're going from room to room. Uh, and as you go from room to room, uh, you're following along a story. Let's say maybe a role-playing game. I don't know, Jim. Maybe it is. And as you're going through it, you're being told parts of a story. So this to me sounds like Star Wars Hotel feature, where well, they don't uh, they can they can further the story mm-hmm. or communicate with you what's going on without having to have a cast member tell you as you go through the hotel. That makes perfect sense. And remember, that's
1: sort of the conceit of what's going to happen when you're staying at the hotel. It sort of keys back to that that play test that was done at the Grand Floridian where you were approached by somebody in the lobby and they asked you to go into Adventureland and seek out a pirate. This is, that was the play test for what they're, they're planning on doing for the Star Wars yeah. Hotel. You, you will be sent into Batuu to seek out this person or knock on that door. and It's next level storytelling and very, very much looking forward to seeing, you know, what happens when this gets out
0: there. And the reason why I think it's a, it's a hotel or other large space is this. In the example drawings mm-hmm. that come with the patent figure two shows a large space with several rooms, I think six or seven rooms, mm-hmm. each of which has different objects and different beacons mm-hmm. and doors. Uh, and the idea is that you would travel through any number of these different rooms using this sort of communal space in the middle to listen to the entire story. I thought that was uh, that was interesting. I agree. Further along with that, um, mm-hmm. along with this whole room-based beacons and storytelling, is this next patent. It's called Room Scale Interacting and Context sensing. What does that mean? Uh, Imagine wallpaper that knows who you are and where you are. That's what I, that's what I got out of this one. The idea here is that you're in a, a room and you need to interact with the room itself somehow. How do you do that? You can have things like touch sensitive wallpaper. You can also have things embedded in the wall that detect where you are and what you're doing. It's called living wall. What would that be? You've done the void at this point, right? You know. So, oh yeah, a couple times. Yeah.
1: Okay, so you, you know how you're moving through that space, and you'll have you'll need to open a doorway and literally reach out, and you know there there will be a physical lever there. You have all this gear on. You have the helmet on. It's a wonderful illusion, but again, you you are also always conscious of the gear. Or Something like this Oh,
0: okay, got it right so okay, so they can display on the wall any sort of scenery they want, and depending mm-hmm. on where you touch, if you're yep. touching a doorknob, a door looks like it opens. If you're touching a window, a window looks like it opens. Oh, that's interesting. yeah, and using the wall as a giant touch screen mm-hmm. would probably be more accurate than trying to estimate what you're touching using cameras and things like that. so it would be more oh, be more accurate. Mm-hmm. How about that? All right. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. Thank you for putting that into context, Jim. Okay. Last one I wanted to talk about, digital companion device with display. Mm -hmm. We we talked a a lot about Disney developing virtual characters that you can interact with, right? So back when word about the Disney replacing PhotoPass photographers with uh, AI systems uh, that were taught, Uh, how to take pictures. Uh, We also mentioned that one of the things that they're they're working on is virtual character interaction. So basically like Alexa, but uh, with a screen uh, and with personality that you can ask questions to. This is a furthering of that, but it seems like it goes even a little bit farther because the character can stay with you is the way I'm getting this. Why would you need to do that?
1: It's funny you tripped over the patent for this because the folks who I was made aware of who were playtesting this, they kept calling it a tricorder, which of course is from Star Trek. You're holding a device that allows you to communicate with another cast member, so to speak, of the Star Wars story you're in. In a weird sort of way, it's the next generation of... Of, you know, the app you can download in Galaxy's Edge and sort of, you know, use your phone to get uh, kind of take a look at the cargo that's being smuggled or listening and on radio messages and this oh, sort of thing. Oh, okay.
0: Got it. Do you think they're going to do character interactions with that? A way to make what
1: you're doing when you're staying at the Star Wars Hotel seem that much more real than, say, using your phone is, well, here, take this piece of equipment with you. You know, just sort of something that sort of discreetly gets slid across the table to you, that you'll need this to complete your mission. There'll be all sorts of functions and things that it will kick off because, Hmm. again, it's keying off of different elements within the land. I'm told the playtesting was pretty cool for this. But again, it's something we're not going to see out in public or, more to the point, in full... Full-on engaged mode until, you know, the hotel is up and running and they get the first guest running through the place.
0: Okay, so they've got some time to work on the development of it. There you go. All right. Well, the uh, the patent app definitely mentions natural language processing. So this is a… a spoken uh, interface too it's verbal that's that's it exactly you know again just an off world Alexa for lack of a better term so (laughs) Jedi Alexa okay All right, folks we're going to take a quick break and after that break Jim reminds us about Disney's Independence Lake Project something I've never heard of so I'm super excited to hear about it we'll be right back All right, Jim. It's uh, approximately a bajillion degrees outside here in the middle of August in Central Florida. Talk to me about something cooler. Just
1: last week, when we were like, you were going over that list of that DVC survey and the ski area came up, and guy directed you to the artwork for the Disney's White Mountain Resort. Disney has been toying with doing skiing things for as far back as the 1960s. And we've talked previously about Mineral King. We
0: even talked about it without referring to Jimmy Hoffa. Go ahead.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I still think at some point you and I have to go do this. We have to travel on that 17-mile dirt road. We need to do it between, I want to say, late May and September, October, because then once the snow flies, this place is inaccessible. But What would end up getting stuck there? It would be The Shining. (laughs) 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 All right, well, i
0: got to make sure I get the axe first. I I believe, Jim, in the movie, it was Scatman Crothers that got the axe. Oh, dear. Oh, too soon? Too Too soon? soon? (laughs) Too soon. No? Okay, go ahead.
1: And so, Walt is approached, made aware by the U.S. government. They're, They're one of five organizations that put in bids. And in February of 1965, U.S. government goes, Disney's clearly the one who should be building this because they approached the project, you know, to the effect of, okay, we want to lessen the impact that man will have on this area. So, for example, we're going to do an off-site parking garage. In fact, it's going to be an underground heated garage. So even when it snows, you'll be able to get back to your car and just leave. But in order to get to what they were planning on developing, you'd have Mm -hmm. to climb aboard a steam train and roll through the Sequoia Game Refuge to get to this place. And at full build-out, what Disney was looking to do was create this Swiss chalet-themed resort that would have been accommodations for 7,200 guests. It was mostly three- and four-story buildings. The the highest building was going to be a five-story hotel with 1,030 rooms. And September of 66, Walt himself goes... With Edmund Brown, the then governor of California, they fly up to Mineral King and they stand there in the bowl and show the press their plans for this $35 million resort. What Walt had planned on building was not just a ski area. The way the Imagineers had designed the place, they were hoping that 60% of the guests would actually visit Mineral King during the summer
0: and hike its trails and go fishing in the lakes and that sort of thing. Wow. Okay. So just to put this in context, $35 million in 1966 Mm -hmm. is about $275 million today. So not a small investment. No, not at all. For all of
1: the talk of Walt's last dream being Epcot, this was the thing Walt was working on when we lost him in December of 66. Everybody knows the story about how Country Bears was initially developed for Mineral King. In fact, the joke that Mark Davis originally proposed for the show is that Somebody had left the door open in the main entertainment hall of the theater, and these bears had just wandered in and found the instruments and started staging a show. <laughs> but, but yeah, I, I mean, it was a big, big project. I mean, there were 10 different restaurants and cafes on site. In fact, the, the one that always intrigued me was the coffee shop that was going to be at the top of Eagle's Crest Ridge seating for 150 people and after you you, know, you finish your coffee you could go out and do a 4 mile ski run going down 3700 feet. Wow, okay. So Walt's people put a lot of time and care into Mineral King and but he again he dies in December 66 just 4 months after standing there with Edmund Brown and showing off the plans on site. Then this 35 million dollar project goes sideways largely because Here's Disney. They get to work right away. They put guys on site who spend the winters there measuring snowfall and where the avalanche areas are so they can adjust their development plans for the 22 different ski runs accordingly. And so, you know, they're just finishing their snow survey because they're anticipating that they're going to have this thing open. Uh, phase one was going to open in 72, but June of 1966 the Sierra Club goes to federal court and tries to block development because they believe that what Disney is planning on doing here is going to have a negative impact on, on the environment.
0: June of, uh, June of 69.
1: Yeah. Sorry. June of 69. So okay. All right. if Walt had lived another five years, mineral King would have gotten built because again, the Sierra Club had named Walt Disney Naturalist of the Year. Yeah, so that's so what, what was driving the Sierra Club there? Was it The real issue here is that the Sequoia Game Refuge was right up against Sequoia National Forest. In fact, in order to get to Disney's plan of that 8 to 10 story underground parking garage and the steam train, they were going to have to build an all-weather road through a grove of old-growth sequoias. All right, that's that's difficult. Okay. You know, we're all we're going to be very selective of about how we do this road, and but we need this access point. We need this to get people to where we can then take their cars out of the equation and put them on the steam train and lessen the impact. And as far as the Air Club was concerned, that was a no-go. And during this same period, a way that they sort of rally the public to their side is they started showing all these photographs of what had been built just outside of Disneyland in Anaheim, all of the yeah. motels and the neon and the fast food. and Yeah, and do you want uh,
0: your wildlife refuge to look like this? Okay, I
1: get it. All right. That's it exactly.
0: Okay, so the, so the Sierra Club basically digs in for a fight. Yep. Disney
1: management. Yeah. And so. Disney tries to appease. You know, it's just like, okay, well, how about this? Not 22 ski lifts. Uh, let's just do 10 and it will reduce the number of buildings on site. But by 1973, they've already pushed back when Mineral King could possibly open until 1976. But by 73, it's pretty obvious to Disney senior management that that Mineral King is doomed, that this thing is going to be in the courts forever, and already public opinion is against them. The fact that they need federal approval, and what Fed at this point is going to want to come out against environmentalists? So... What if we took this project and moved it to somewhere that we did need federal approval? What if there's somebody in Northern California who has a large chunk of land that's privately owned? And it turns out, yes, there was. It was the Southern Pacific Railroad. They had this giant chunk of land in Northern California up by Truckee, California, which is 16 miles to the northwest of the top of Lake Tahoe. This would have been the ideal spot to build a area because Truckee, on average, gets 204 inches of snow per winter. Wow. That makes it the fifth snowiest city in the entire United States. So Disney, again, 1973, reaches out to Southern Pacific Railroad and says, look, we've done all of this development on Mineral King. We know this is a good, solid business plan you have this amazing chunk of land in the Sierra Nevada mountains right at the edge of Independence Lake. The Southern Pacific Railroad, you know, is looking at what is then perceived as the huge success of the Walt Disney World Resort, which, remember, had just opened in October of 71. And it's like, these guys know what they're doing. Let's get in bed together. So the Independence Lake project gets announced in July of 1974. And what they were looking to do was develop a piece of property at the northeast end of the lake. It would have been a 21-acre pedestrian-oriented village with restaurants, campgrounds, and Disney starts off by trying to appease environmentalists. Remember, Mineral King at full Build that at one point was going to have room for 7,200 guests. This project during the winter was only going to have room for 2,900 guests, Okay, 3,400 during the summer when they could make use of campsites. Disney announces the project and then puts people on site to do snow surveys so they know depth, they know where the potential avalanche areas are, and they deliver their full master plan in the summer of 77. It turns out that Southern Pacific hadn't entirely told Disney the truth they were like, well, yeah, we own most of the land ab- around Independence Lake. But, you oh, oopsie. This, this tiny little chunk that's owned by the U.S. government. So which branch of the government actually has control, as say, over what can be done with this piece of property? And that's when things really began to evolve, because it turns out that both the state of California, the federal government, and the local Nevada County folks all had say over this particular Oh, piece. it's all too much. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> by, you know, and here's Disney. They're thinking, we're going to be able to break ground on this thing by spring of 1979 and, you know, have it open for the winter of 1982. But when it became clear that, oh, good Lord, this is Mineral King 2— that we're gonna be in courts forever when this is gonna be resolved. They abandoned finally abandoned the plan in in spring of seventy
0: eight. So what about what about
1: now? Mm -hmm. When Eisner was initially kicking the tires of Disney getting into timeshares, the imaginers actually pulled out the Mineral King and Independence of Lake stuff. And it's like, look, we came this close. And Eisner kind of lost his mind. It's like, oh, we, we should do this only mm. but because Eisner was raised on the East Coast. It's like, no, I don't want to yeah. do Northern California. I want to do East Coast. So they, they were looking at the White Mountains and they were looking to acquire an existing property, shut it down for a year or two, and then bring it back as a, you know, a Disney-fied resort. And that's supposedly the new plan again. That Disney is back again looking hard at the DVC business, but again, not the giant DVC business, the, the notion of, should we do boutiques? In right. fact, to, to bring things full circle here, the Star Wars Hotel with, with all of its, you know, amazing inter- yeah, interactive yeah. adventures and all that. But again, that that's more modeled on the boutique idea. And... Disney is now sort of eyeballing the notion of rather than try to do another all star or, you know, something, a, a giant, you know, hotel, a giant resort. It's like, okay, what if there's something up in New Hampshire, Vermont, Maine that's small size, but again, that, that magic formula of somewhere near a major highway or somewhere near a significant airport, to sort of double back to that survey we were talking about on the last show that. This is something that the new Disney company is kind of looking at about all right, if, if we're looking to think of the DVC as more of a mature business, mm-hmm. maybe rather than dealing with third party to the effect of, okay, you're a member of the DVC, which means, you know, through our association with this other timeshare, you get to go to this ski resort. Right. Maybe we do a Disney
0: ski resort. But again, tiny, itty-bitty. Yeah, you, You've uh, and if they do on the East Coast too, there's uh, potentially less concern for environmental impact because the East is more developed in the West. Yeah. Right? If you're dealing with a resort that's already grandfathered and
1: people are used to the notion of the ski area, but at the same time, you know, having just seen here in New Hampshire, seeing the Northern Pass project go down, the East is not necessarily, from an environmental point of view, development-friendly either. You know, it it would be kind of a crapshoot if Disney came in. I don't know if they necessarily would be greeted with open arms if they decided to go into the ski resort business
0: here, but I Guess we'll have to wait and see. All right, we will. Uh, we'll see. Hopefully, we'll get to, we'll get to hear something soon on that. Do yourself but So, all right, folks, that's going to do it for the Disney Dish Show today. If you can't get enough of us, head on over to DisneyDish.bandcamp.com, where you'll find exclusive shows never before heard on iTunes. We are produced fabulously by Aaron Adams, who's doing some last-minute practicing for the fiddling competition at this week's Iowa State Fair. Pick up some fiddling tips from Aaron <laughs> on an upcoming show while you're rooting for Aaron, please go to iTunes and rate our show and tell us what you'd like to hear next for Jim. This is Len. We'll see you on the next show.